Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, December 9th, 2022. I'm Mike Cachopoli. Okay, here we are. Here we are. The end of another week. It's Friday. And uh, before we start this big weekend, before we all relax and enjoy a weekend, probably shopping. I'm guessing a lot of people are going to go shopping, right? It's only what? Where, where are we now? 20 days? Less than that. Wait a minute. 15 days to Christmas? Oh, oh, it's crazy. Crazy. So everyone's going to be going Christmas shopping. It's going to be, a, you know, I'm sure a very festive weekend. But just at this time, a couple of weeks, a fortnight before Christmas, we have yet another Twitter dump. And this one was just, I mean, it's hard to wrap your mind around all this stuff. I'm trying to keep up. It isn't the easiest thing to do to read the threads. Matt Taibbi did this thread, part three. This thread focusing on the, the banning of Donald Trump. The, 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 the thought process, if you will, in quotes, thought process of banning the president of the United States. Remember, for people who uh, need the timeline again, because I know it's been a while, Trump was banned from Twitter on January 8th, 2021. So two days after January 6th and 12 days before he left office. So that was the, that's the timeline. January 8th of 21, that's when Trump was officially, officially banned. His account was suspended, banned from Twitter. Of course, the question that a lot of us ask and have on my mind that will never be fully answered is, would that have happened if Trump had won that election? Would that have happened? Obviously, January 6th wouldn't have happened. Okay. But when we look at the chronology of the, of the days leading up the months leading up to the banning of Trump, it really wasn't January 6th that that was the reason. Some people on the left-wing media would like you to believe January 6th was the reason. That, oh my God, he, Twitter, he, he uh, not only in that, in that rally he, he, he had before the, before the event on January 6th, but also the, the tweets he sent led up, to, the tweets he sent during his four years as president, you know, led up to January 6th happening and therefore, he needed to be banned from Twitter because he incited violence and it culminated after four years of horrible tweets on January 6th. It is essential viewing, Gator. It really is. If you go on Twitter and you go on Matt Taibbi's thing, it's, a, it's like 56. It's a 56-post thread. Um, but the fact of the matter is a lot led up to that. It wasn't just January 6th. So one wonders... Would Trump's awful, awful tweets have led to him being banned had he won re-election? Remember, they banned him just 12 days before he wasn't going to be president anymore. So that process to them may have been an easier decision than if he had had another four years of of his presidency. But maybe they would have banned him at some point. Maybe it would have been a month later, two months later, a year later. Who knows? But if you look at Matt Taibbi's thread, it's it's absolutely... (laughs) It's absolutely frightening. You have to read each one twice. Because as you go through this thread, what you're seeing, and I'm not going to read all 56 to you, because you really have to look at them. Because remember, I can read you the, the, uh, what Matt Taibbi says, but then underneath in almost every thread, there's a photo shot, there's a screenshot of actual proof of evidence of the decision making, the, the, the tweets back and forth, the messages back and forth between Gade and Roth and Arawal and all those people who were running things there. It's with the three or four main culprits, Baker. 
So if you go through Taby's thread, you'll see. I mean, a, a few of them I can just point out, which are the most incredible ones, really. Um, and and if you look at if you look at what the what was really happening, and I've mentioned this before, is you have people who never had any kind of real control in their life before. Never any control over other human beings in their life before. Once again, these were probably the people who were in the back of the classroom, who didn't get much attention, who were maybe picked on, maybe bullied a little bit, were never in control when they were in school, never in control growing up. Then they go to college and they become great computer minds and techies, and then they get a job at Twitter. Jack Dorsey gives them these jobs. And I believe that Jack Dorsey at the beginning wasn't giving them the job of censor. You're, you're chief censor, you're censor, you're the assistant chief censor. I don't think that's why he created those jobs. But these people began to use their jobs in order to have power over people's voices. And you see it in, the, in their emails and their messages going back and forth from each other. It wasn't like, oh, this violates our policy. It wasn't very like cut and dry robotic like, this violates our policy. It's like, look at this asshole. Look at what this asshole is saying. This guy is a real asshole. So it was basically their, their opinions. They wanted their opinions, their narrative, their official Democrat left narrative to control to be what Twitter was about. They wanted Twitter to be a platform to help Democrats. Plain and simple. There were instances in this Taibbi thread when we talk about election being stolen, you know, horrible Trump saying the election was stolen, these conspiracy theorists, where when people on the right talked about not trusting mail-in ballots, their tweets would get either shadow banned or, or totally taken down. When people on the left, when politicians on the left and personalities on the left wrote tweets about Trump stealing elections, watching out for that, those were allowed to go through. And you could see how they twisted themselves into pretzels trying to explain the differences between the reasoning. Well, one is just total uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist danger. And the other one is, oh, it's reasonable. It's reasonable to think this could be the case. It's reasonable. So they would just twist themselves into pretzels into eliminating any of the election questions the right would have. But they'd, left, they'd let any of the election questions the left had go through. That was fine. Those could be amplified. Those accounts were not suspended. So it was obviously a one-way street here. It was a one-way street. And the street led to total Orwellian censorship. As I was talking about on yesterday's show, and it gets even deeper into that with this latest dump, they had all of these, this term, these Orwellian terminology and categorizations that they, that they made up. It was like these things ever existed before Twitter, before these, these three or four assholes at Twitter. These things never existed. These things were never normal terminology in tech. They made them up. They made up Orwellian labeling, Orwellian censorship categories for anything they believed was going to hurt the Democrats' chances of winning. Basically, Biden defeating Trump. And after Biden defeated Trump, any narrative they didn't agree with that came out regarding the election. Once again, if it was the right questioning the election, 
questioning mail-in ballots, questioning how many of them are legitimate, questioning the percentage of mail-in ballots that are legitimate compared to voting, voting day balloting. They were censored, they were eliminated, they were destroyed. But people on the left, who I'm sorry, people, yes, people on the left who talked about Donald Trump stealing elections, whether it was before or after, those were let go, those were let through, those were fine. Those kinds of questions regarding election integrity, the people at Twitter deemed absolutely, absolutely legitimate, and they should not be taken down. And this is case after case after case. This is what, this is what Matt Taibbi originally referred to when he said that 99% of the people working at Twitter were from San Francisco or the Bay Area. They were Democrats. They gave the Democrats. They voted Democratic. And that is what they wanted their platform to be, basically a cheerleading device for the Democrat Party to get their also a, a PR arm of the Democrat Party to get their message out and to not only to get their message out, but to censor the message from the right. So if I go through this, I'm going to go through a little bit of it. I'm going to go through my profile where I just I, I, I pointed out certain things. Yeah, OK. So Glenn Greenwald. Also, another point of this particular dump is now we are seeing clear collusion between the FBI and Twitter. Remember, before this, it was like, oh, the FBI wasn't involved. Well, we knew they were. This guy, Yoel Roth, is the worst of them. He's the worst, like, control boy lunatic that I've ever seen. If you look at the things he was saying, and he he was having daily meetings with the FBI, daily correspondence with the FBI and taking their orders. And of course, their orders were always, always, always censor the right. Watch out for this coming from the right. So if I go through, and of course, the left thinks this is all great. And, and Glenn Greenwald perfectly encapsulates why the left thinks this is all a nothing burger. And the FBI telling Twitter what to do and what not to do was good, according to the left. And the reason liberals, as Glenn Greenwald says, virtually never complain about the CIA, FBI, or big tech monopoly power, once a staple of their politics has almost completely disappeared from the left liberal discourse, is that they now perceive correctly that all of these institutions are on their side. Remember, it was the left who was always suspicious of the FBI, not the right. In the past, pre-Trump, let's say, pre-COVID, pre-Twitter, it was always the left who was complaining that the FBI was corrupt, that they were bad guys, that they were fascists, that they were evildoers. But not anymore, and as Glenn Greenwald says, because now they perceive, and correctly, that all these institutions, big tech, FBI, CIA, monopoly power, are on their side. Once again, I go back to that Nixon, famous Nixon remark, when the president does it, it's not illegal. The Democrats believe when they do it, when it benefits their side, it's not illegal, not only not illegal, it's virtuous. It's virtuous. And that's basically the response. But let's, let's forget about the left for a while, because we know they're full of shit. And let's talk a little bit about Yoel Roth. This is number, this is exchange number 43. This is a thread number 43. In this exchange, again, unintentionally humorous, Former Attorney General Eric Holder claimed the U.S. Postal Service was deliberately crippled, ostensibly by the Trump administration. 
He was initially hit with a generic warning label, but it was quickly taken off by Roth. And this is what I said. When it came from the left, it was considered fine. It was considered good information. When the left had any questions about the integrity of the election or the integrity about the electoral process, it was considered fine. When it came from the right, it was considered disinformation, conspiracy theorist lunacy, and it was deleted. Glenn Greenwald writes, Yoel Roth meeting with FBI Weekly and his little censorship minions absolutely degraded Twitter into little more than a full-on Democratic Party activist machine, all while lying to the public about its function. This was a massive public fraud and 2020 election interference. So once again, the Democrats were screaming for four years, Russia, 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 right? That Russia gave Trump the election, that Hillary was robbed because of Russia, 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 election interference. That was all considered great. That was all considered so virtuous and real and true. No evidence. It just dropped. Remember, they just dropped that because there was no evidence. Nothing. There was no follow up to that. Right. There's been no follow up to that. But that was years and years of years of the Democrats and Hillary saying that the election was stolen because of Russia, that Russia helped Donald Trump win, that it was Russian interference in the election of 2016. Therefore, the Democrats and Hillary Clinton said the election of 2016 was rigged, okay? Rigged by the Republicans in cahoots with Russia. Once again, nothing ever proven about that. Nothing ever proven. Yet here we have real election interference, real proof of election. There's more proof. It's not even close. There's more proof of election interference between the FBI and Twitter and 2020 than any, any proof of election interference between the Republican Party, Donald Trump, and Russia in 2016. It's not even close. The Democrats have never showed us one one thousandth, one one millionth of the evidence that Elon Musk, along with Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss, have uncovered over the last week and a half. Four years, they couldn't show a shred of evidence. In a week and a half, we have un we have totally convincing evidence that there was collusion between the FBI, the Biden campaign, Democrats, Twitter in the 2020 election to try to do whatever they can, could. Remember, we live in a very split country. We don't live in a country where one one person is going to get 60 percent of the vote anymore. So they know that now. They know that any little bit, right, any little bit could help that maybe one, two percent switch in a couple of states, right, that can make the difference. And without a doubt, without a doubt, Donald Trump would have won that election, without a doubt, because it was too close. If, if, if Biden had won by 20 points, I'd say, well, this probably might have made a little bit of a difference, but not enough of a difference to make a difference in the outcome of the election. But the election was so close, once again, a few votes in a few states, just like 2016, that this absolutely led, this absolutely helped Donald Trump over the finish line. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I think I had said in the past that you can never really tell. Well, you can tell. This did it. This was absolutely 2020 election interference. And what Twitter did absolutely gave Joe Biden the win. Without a doubt, it gave Joe Biden the win. Between suppressing the Hunter Biden story, which would have put a few chinks in, in, in Biden's armor, taken some votes away from him, and this 
stuff. This constant interference leading up to the election, this constant censor, censoring of one side, of the Republican side, leading up to the election, omitting information, absolutely, absolutely pushed Donald Trump over the, uh, pushed Joe Biden over the finish line. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. As Charlie Kirk said, Yoel Roth had more power over public discourse and opinion shaping than any person in elected office in 2020. An unelected boy king behind a computer screen had the power to remove a U.S. president and orchestrate a digital coup. There's more here about James Woods, about censoring James Woods. There's a lot of, a lot of screenshots showing how they just simply censored Woods. Afterwards, angrily quote tweeted about Trump's warning label, Twitter staff, and a preview of what ended up happening after January 6th, despaired for a reason for action, but resolved to hit him hard on future violations. So right there, they had this vendetta against James Woods. If they were going to do whatever they could to make sure he was hit, hit hard in the future, that he was censored in the future. Once again, you didn't see this. You didn't see these kinds of emails and these kinds of hit jobs against people on the left. How much shit, how much absolute horse shit has Rob Reiner written? How much horse shit has George Jakai written? Never once, though, do we see any tweets, any internal tweets saying, watch out for Takai in the future with his misinformation. Watch out for, uh, watch out for Reiner in the future, this meathead with his, with his ridiculous over the top remarks that have no basis in fact. You never saw that, but they went after James Woods. Understand this. Twitter felt the Jay Bhattacharya a, a, a renowned doctor from Stanford, Marty McCary from, from, from Johns Hopkins, Peter McCullough, world-renowned cardiologist. They were, their tweets were spreading misinformation, but not George Takai and Rob Reiner. It's absolutely absurd. As Charlie Kirk says, again, it wasn't the Russians, it wasn't the Chinese, it wasn't malicious foreign actors, it was our own U.S. government meddling in our own U.S. elections to help Joe Biden win. Let that sink in. Kyle Becker, these Twitter files made the KGB look like fucking pikers. Twitter took directions from the FBI and the DHS, by the way, it was also the Department of Homeland Security, about what to censor as misinformation. Once again, what we really have is a group of people who just, this is the same thing we saw during COVID, folks. The same thing we saw during COVID, right? People just wanting to control others. There was no scientific basis behind any of it. There was no rationality or uncommon sense behind any of it. It was simply people who wanted to control others. And these little fuckheads at Twitter found a position that they had where they could control other people. They can control a narrative. They could help their side win. And to the left who says, well, that's absolutely okay. They have the right to do that. Well, 
if they weren't ashamed of it, if they felt they had the right to do it, why weren't they? Why was it advertised as that? Why was why wasn't it? Why wasn't it Twitter and under it go go Biden, go Joe, go go Joe, go? Why didn't they just let everyone know they were doing it? Why do we have to find out now? Why do we have to go in and, and dig? Why did Elon Musk have to go in and dig all this stuff up? Why didn't they proudly say they were an arm of the Democratic Party? Why? Because they knew it was wrong. And they lied under oath about it. That's a very interesting thing. We talked yesterday about Dorsey and under oath saying he wasn't shadow banning people. And whether Dorsey knew about it or didn't know about it or how much he knew about it. But there's also more to this. An article written uh, late January of 2021 from the New York Post was about child pornography. And the way Twitter would not take, here it is, Twitter refused to remove child porn because it didn't violate their terms. So Donald Trump's tweets, James Wood's tweets violated their terms. They, they, they got rid of Trump, but they wouldn't get rid of child porn. So this, 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 this is what their, where their priorities were. This is where their priorities were. Twitter refused to take down widely shared pornographic images and videos of a teenage sex trafficking victim because the investigation didn't find the violation of the company's policies, a lawsuit alleges. The federal suit, which was filed back in January of 21 by the victim and the mother in Northern California, alleges Twitter made money off the clips, which are a 13-year-old engaged in sex acts and are a form of child sexual abuse material or child porn. The teen, who's now 17, lives in Florida, is John Doe, between 13 and 14 years old, when sex traffickers posing as a 16-year-old female classmate started chatting with him on Snapchat. So they were allowing child porn. And by the way, they allow regular porn. I mean, people don't know that, but you're, you're allowed to put porn on Twitter. So Twitter allows these, these porn threads, escorts, prostitutes, who make money, who link their accounts, link their profiles to Twitter, link their OnlyFans to Twitter. So you can do that. You can make money, prostitute or escort or OnlyFans, linking to Twitter where you can show your sex clips, but Jay Bhattacharya is not allowed on. So they're talking about people having to go to jail. And, and Elon Musk res- responded to this and said it's a crime that they refuse to take action on child exploitation for years. And guess who responds to him? Jack, writing, this is false. And Elon Musk tweets back, no, it's not. When Ella Irwin, who now runs Trust and Safety, joined Twitter earlier this year, almost no one was working on child safety. She raised this with Ned and Parang, but they rejected her staffing request. I made it top priority immediately. So here you have Elon Musk saying that Twitter allowed this child porn, Jack saying it's not, and them going back and forth, yapping at each other. So I don't think there's any real love fest between Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk. Elon Musk is at the same time Ned was spending millions of dollars off war- on warrior seats, super messed up priorities. Jack responds, I don't know what happened. And once again, I don't know what happened in the past year, but to say we didn't take action for years isn't true. You can make all of my emails public to verify. Company took away my access or email or I would. So once again, and Jake Shields responds, you allowed child porn and election meddling from the FBI. You should be apologizing, not making excuses. So here we go. 
Here we go. Let's get ready. Remember that moves of Michael Buffer? Let's get ready to rumble. So I, I don't see Elon Musk really having any love for Jack at this point. I mean, Jack supposedly said, go ahead, release everything. Don't, don't, don't do anything. Don't censor it. Don't just release everything. And they are. But Jack keeps saying things like, well, maybe a year, things changed. I don't know what happened the past year, he said. But this is from January of 2021. This is almost two years ago, this article. This is January of 2021. So this is when Jack was still there, right? Jack was still in control in January of 2021. So it's Jack's doing a lot of, uh, you know, exactly what Fauci is doing, right? I told you the, 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 the Sergeant Schultz. I know nothing. I see nothing. I know nothing. The whole Nazi thing. I know nothing. But <laughs> it doesn't matter if he was actually the censorship guy like Yoel Roth was, right? The fact of the matter is he he was the CEO. The buck stops here. Who said that? Was it Eisenhower? The buck stops here. He is the CEO. And in he already lied. He said there was no shadow banning. Was he was he parsing? Was he doing the you know was it was it verbiage because they didn't call it shadow banning, they called it some other ridiculous Orwellian term. He knew, but the thing is they were shadow banning. So I'm I'm now thinking that Jack Dorsey knew a lot more than he's admitting to. A lot more than he's admitting. And and this is this is it. Whether he knew it was going on or whether he didn't know it was going on and this was happening under his nose as a CEO, either way, he's responsible. He was the CEO. It was his fucking company. You develop a company and then you let the inmates run the asylum. Whether you know what they're doing or not, you are at fault. You are at fault. Gator, do you agree with me on that? Yep. Gator, you there? Yeah, um, yeah well, look, we said this yesterday, didn't we? I, I, was, yeah. I was saying Dorsey, Dorsey must be uh, responsible and ignorance or incompetence. Pick either of those defenses and they won't fly. This is this is one step towards proving my point. Oh no, without a doubt, without a doubt, and and I'm I'm beginning to believe he's just bullshitting. I really am. Okay, hang on. Have you, have you seen his congressional um, testimony? I saw a little bit of it yesterday. They they were replaying it. Right. Okay. So there's a clip that I saw because I mean I didn't I literally never really got into using Twitter at all until very recently. And I only use it in a very specific way. Right. 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 Um, essentially on transmit for certain reasons. I don't consume other people's bullshit on it. Right. But um, Dorsey is specifically questioned by a, um, uh, a sympathetic guy. I can't remember the guy's name. And it's all clearly positioning uh, questions that allow Dorsey to deny certain things and then they twist it. I can't, I'll, I'll try and find a link before your show ends, but I was watching it yesterday and I didn't realize how partisan it was because when you watch just the clip out of context and you watch the questioning, you think that the guy doing the questioning, the senator or, or whatever, is against Dorsey until you get to about halfway through and then you realize, oh, he's he's basically being given, giving Dorsey a way out 
right, along plausible deniability grounds and stuff like this. It's fucking corrupt, right? And um, the interesting thing about that quote you just flagged, um, where Dorsey is, has just been saying this is false and Musk is saying, no, it's not, <laughs> is that in the same, in that, uh, so it says this is false, and I'm just pulling this up now because um, below Musk's statement saying, no, it's not, is one of the women that Musk talks about saying, uh, actually, it is true. And I was trying to do something in 2020 and, and I basically just got completely sidelined. So so Dorsey gets kicked in the balls in that tweet thread by one of his own staff members. Right, who, right, right. Who, yes. who knows where the fucking bodies are buried, right? Right. That's how shit this is, right, for Dorsey. And if you look at his feed, right, what he's into now, I mean, obviously, he's a he's a Bitcoin maximalist and he's he's hanging out in, in Africa um, trying to get African Bitcoin off the ground, right? Well, right. that, that that might explain why he doesn't give a shit, but or or seemingly not, right? Because he's because he's basically chewing cat and um, banging a drum, banging you know, banging a drum for African Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So that might be why he doesn't seem to be involved very much. But um, it's Yoel Roth, right? That did you watch that Glenn Greenwald thing? No, no. Which one? Which honestly, Glenn? right? For twenty five minutes of trying to get a view of Yoel Roth. It's very disturbing. Like Yul Roth is a, is completely disconnected from reality, and oh. when when I didn't know anything about this guy right until until this happened, my God right! I'll just very quickly say this for people who, for you, and and Daniel, if he doesn't know already, Glenn Greenwald and Michael Tracy basically give a quick summary of where Roth came from. He was literally doing a PhD into this con uh, into nasty speech, right? That, which is a concept that he's essentially created. But what the speech that he was looking at was how uh, discursive speech in gay hookup apps, right? And yeah. how somehow that and somehow the, how that has social significance. And he went from that position to the head of global security for Twitter, right? Yes. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It, watch no. the, the I'll put a link in, watch it, and your jaw will just hit the floor going, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever in terms right. of sensibility, right? It's it's absolute nuts. And then when you listen to your Roth speaking about stuff very recently in his recent, um, in his recent um, interview on stage, He's clinically deranged, clinically deranged. You can tell. And, 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 and this is what I'll cap it all up as, Mike. This is how I view this, right? What you are looking at now with Twitter, I mean, it's already happened. This is social media. What you've seen with social media, what social media is, is the real world equivalent of the 1984 development of, the, of a global ministry of truth and the memory hole. That's what this is, right? Yes. Because... Because though that system in that story is a combination of the propaganda machine, the perception management machine, the history correction machine, right? And then the future predictive programming machine. And that is exactly what we're seeing now. It just doesn't look like a guy with a, with a big brother face on a TV, but that is exactly what it is. And, the, and people don't see it for that. Mm -hmm. right? People literally don't actually see it in those terms. No. Right, but they should because this is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And um, 
one of the very strange things about this, again, about proving weakness in the human psyche, is that we're seeing, again, this polarisation. I, I, there's a concept I have about how simplistic human beings can become in the sense that, really, when you watch a person or you think about the decision you make and the way that you act, humanity or a human is incredibly complex. All this nuance, all these things going on, your brain is the most complex thing on Earth, right? But every human comes down to a binary, yes, no, act, don't act, something, nothing, right? You, and, and you string all these binary actions together and then you look like you're sophisticated. But everything is binary underneath, ones and zeros to some extent, right? It's a bit simplistic, but we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't forget how simplistic human beings can be. In COVID and in this, what are we seeing? We're seeing people being dumb enough and simplistic enough to choose a narrative and they just go, I believe this. Right. And then yes. they stop doing any research Absolutely. and they just believe. Right. And then when somebody else eventually comes along and says, Jesus, you know what? You're wrong. As soon as you say that to somebody, they go, no, I'm not wrong. And they get defensive and they deny. And then you put evidence in front of their face and they keep going, not enough evidence, not enough evidence, not enough evidence. <laughs> right. And right. then when the evidence is overwhelming, they just go, yeah, well, it's just boring anyway. Just uh -huh. leave me yeah. alone and let's yeah, move on because I, and you're wrong anyway. You're still wrong. Right. That's how stupid people are. And you're seeing it in Twitter. And you're seeing it in COVID. And that's and, 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 and on that basis, the human race, you should be afraid. Just always remain afraid of the mob because the mob is fucking dumb. Right. And and that's what you've got. You've got you just got mob rule in this environment and many others. And, and that's what we should not forget in some ways. No, it's 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 a total and it's group think. And, 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 and yeah. Matt Taibbi talks about that. This, and and when you go through this Twitter stuff, when you go through the, the censorship, this all became a group think. Right. Yeah. They, they all everyone there was thinking the same way. Right. And there was no one there. There was absolutely not one person there that was like, well, wait a minute. Let, let's look at. The, yeah. let, let's look at this. Let's think about this for a second. Let's look at the other side here. It was total, total cultish groupthink. And you could see as you go yeah. along. Are there any adults in the room? No. Are there any sane people or no, children and, and, in here at all? No. Right. Okay, keep going. <laughs> oh, and, and they were getting off on the control. You can see it. They were yeah. getting more and more power. They were getting off on the control. And what was the ultimate? Was the ultimate thing these, these, um, these, these like these these normally powerless nerds could do, but to ban the president of the United States, right? That was the ultimate power trip for these people to ban the president of the United States. And and that's what they did on January 8th of 2021. They banned the they people. I don't think people hear that clear enough. They banned the president of the United States. Yeah. While people were putting child porn on there, where people were linking their only fans fuck accounts to there <laughs> they did to Twitter, they ban the president of the United States. And. It's absolutely, and you can see that. Remember, on January sixth, there's a point here on January sixth. But remember, Trump put that tweet out saying, "You know, go home." You know, what I'm saying he he said, "Go home, people. Go home. I love you, but go home." Something like that. Then they respond. You can see in their internal documents, they were just so pissed off. Yeah, they had the and was, that, was, was he accused of it being a racist statement? Because essentially, they, he, was that the one that you're talking about? Well, but when, when he just told the people who were at the Capitol, I, I love you for your, I love you for your, basically, he was saying, I love your passion, but go oh, home. Right, okay. Don't do this and stop doing this. Go home. Oh, right, they yeah, was, they were just so else. pissed off at that, that yeah. he had the, the nerve to say, I love you to them, you know, and that just pissed them off. Now, there's nothing there. 
and as Matt Taibbi, as, as this shows, as the thread shows, there's really nothing. They didn't ban Trump because of any Twitter violations. They banned Trump because they didn't like his tone. Sure, yeah. They didn't like what he was saying. You see what well, I'm saying? So well, that, yeah, but that's the whole point here. But that's that's their, that's the that's one of the presentation layers of this. But really, what's happening? They're taking instruction from their masters and their allies in DHS, FBI, Homeland Security, and then they're finding ways to enact and deliver what those agencies wanted, right? Whilst um, exercising the power that you describe inside their world of Twitter, right? Yeah. But what, what does this mean? I mean, this means two things. It means that um, although they are powerful within their little ecosphere, disconnected sphere, what they all that they are, are the um, extension of the deep state. Twitter, your Roth is a deep state actor. You can see that straight away, right? And then the funny thing is that if you go back 25 years to the rise of Bill Gates and Windows and all that era, right? Do you remember that phrase, the geeks shall inherit the earth? Uh, was it the geeks or the, wasn't the geeks? the geeks? I thought it was the meek. Well, no, that's the biblical quote, but because of the rise of the PC. Oh, the geeks. Yeah, I see, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get that, it. That's where we, we crossed that Rubicon 10 years yeah. ago, right? right. And, and that's where we are now. The geeks have inherited the earth because they own your fucking brain, right? They own your perception. They own the way that you see the world, whether you like it or not. Even if you and you and I think we we're on the right side of perception, we're not because we just don't understand how our perception for, for, uh, is is fucked up. We, we think we're sensible people, right? That we're balanced. We we're suspicious enough. We're cynical enough. I don't use these things, you know, without great levels of caution and and whatever. But there's, there's I'm still being affected by everything, you know. I just don't know how being affected and and that's the real toxicity of it and it's happening across the board on tech and and every form of information yeah no absolutely there's, there's no doubt about it there's no doubt about it but it, it's i think we, we we this information is not going to change the mind of anyone on the left at for the same reasons you just said it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you can pile on as much you know you could pile on as much evidence as you want let's put it this way these people if this had, if this was a jury selection, these people would be thrown out, right? Mm. <laughs> They'd be thrown out. They have their minds made up. It doesn't matter. In other words, they're, they're jurists that simply won't look at the evidence. It doesn't matter. They have their mind made up about the, 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 the you know, the issue or the person on trial, and it doesn't matter what the evidence mm. shows. So you say that to a judge, and or if the judge senses that, or if a lawyer, I should say, senses that, you're off. You're gone. They don't, they don't want you there. And and that's basically what this is. There's, no matter how much evidence that comes out, and as 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 the as Matt Taibbi alludes to, the first installment he put out covers the period before the election through January sixth. Tomorrow, meaning Saturday, Michael Schellenberger is going to detail the chaos inside Twitter on January seventh, the day after, and on Sunday, Barry Weiss will reveal the secret internal communications from the key date of January 8th when they banned Trump. So this is going to be the whole weekend. So Monday is going to be great. Well, I'd love to talk about Monday. But it doesn't matter. As far as the left goes, this isn't. This is not here to change their minds. This is simply mm. here as evidence to prove we were all right from day one, man. We were all right. And, then, and, and you know, in the next couple of weeks, the COVID stuff is going to come out, which is going to prove we were right from day one. That all that stuff, every, everything 
from the point of view of the Great Barrington Declaration of real doctors who weren't in the pockets of the Democrat, the DNC, weren't in the pockets of, of Tony Fauci and the DHS, NHS, they were banned also. So what you're getting here, just like with the election, just like with when people on the left would tweet things about election integrity problems or the process or having any uh, you know, issues with uh, mail-in ballots, that was fine. No, it was all good information. But from the right came on and said something like that, like Trump, oh my God, this is horrible, this information, get rid of it. You, we, saw, we know the same thing happened with COVID. When people went on and said, get your, get your vaccines, get, wear your mask, wear two masks, wear a visor, lock down, pick, keep your kids at home, those people were allowed to be on Twitter. Everything they tweeted was allowed over and over and over again. But mm. the other side that ended up being right, they were censored. We're going to see all of that. We're going to see all of that. So, but is this going to convince people on the left that they were wrong all along? Of course not. Of course not. It's not even going to convince people on the left that this is censorship. They are actually saying this is absolutely fine. It's absolutely mm. fine for a private business to do what they want, and it's absolutely fine for the government, if they feel it's the best thing, to influence this. They, they don't care. It doesn't matter. Once again, yes, we all know if it were the other side, if Twitter were 99% Republican, if it was based in Montgomery, Alabama, and they were 99% Republicans, and they were doing this to the left and, and, and censoring the left and rising, raising the visibility of Trump, oh, my God, the Democrats would be calling this the worst, the, the worst crime in modern history, right? This is the worst thing to ever happen. This is crimes against humanity. They'd be going crazy. They'd want impeachments and prosecutions. So this really shows how full of shit they are. Yeah, but also it demonstrates that in the minds of let's let's just I mean, I know I don't want to speak about. Well, I am going to uh, and I'm aware of how bad they do. But um, in terms of generalizing about the population, right, again, um, there's a huge issue here about moral relativism, right, yeah. which is yeah. in some ways um, we, we've we've lost a sense of morality because you need some degree of some things are morally objective, right? And when you descend into moral relativism en masse, you can justify anything to yourself at any point just because you say, well, I choose my morality to be this and that's good enough for me, right? And that mm -hmm. can change over time because nothing's absolute, right? Or your morality is not absolute. And so in this case, what you're seeing is these people who say, when Twitter works for me and there's nothing bad, yeah, it's a public discourse, it's a public square, I believe that, it's a public square with freedom of speech, everything. And then suddenly, as the darkness descends and they get shown, actually, you know what, it's not what you think it is. And, it, and, and, and currently, you're in the camp that hasn't been suppressed, hasn't been hit, you know, has, and it's all the deplorables, the people you don't like, who, who have been on the receiving end. Their moral relativism will tell them this is okay. Right. I, I'm happy with this state of affairs as the evidence starts to pile up until the point that the evidence pile is so high that they can't deny that it's not a public square. It's a privately controlled perception management thing that I've said before. And then suddenly they switch their moral relativism to say, yeah, but that's OK, because it, as you say, it's a private company. They can do what they want. I'm happy to accept their rules because I live within them because I'm still not being harmed. Right. Mm -hmm. and, th and therefore they continually tolerate it and tolerate it and tolerate it and, 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 and justify it to the world and to themselves on this massive, meaningless, sliding moral scale. But mm -hmm. what this really is the same as, 
is the they came for the union um, leaders or they came for the socialists and I was not a socialist so uh, I didn't stand up then they came for the Jews I wasn't a Jew so I didn't stand up then they came for me and there was no one left it's exactly the same manifestation of that right mm-hmm. it's the same mindset that gets you into that position that gets you to where we are today with all of this stuff yeah absolutely that's that's exactly right that's exactly right moral relativism is a good way to put it but the fact of the matter is is that you and I know that the First Amendment freedom of speech is not a it's not a one way street. It's yeah. not a one way street, and it's it's it, it's it would be just as wrong if you had a we won't have any because all ten companies all tech companies are are going to be run by liberals. But uh, actually, right now you have you finally have a tech company that's run by I guess a moderate or independent and Elon Musk, which is why the left hates him so much. The left wants us all to their all to themselves. They want to be able to do this kinds of censorship on all these platforms forever. But the fact of the matter is, is that it would be just as wrong if there was a tech company, if there was a platform that was doing this kinds of things and censoring the left. It would be just as wrong. It would be just as wrong. And as Ro Khanna said, once again, the only Democrat I know who has made any sense, he was actually on Fox News yesterday talking again, and he said, this is simply wrong. You can, you can have terms of service when it comes to violent threats, things that cross the line when it becomes illegal. But you cannot censor based on opinion. You cannot bend. You cannot censor because your opinions, your the people running the country, the the company is different from the opinions of people who are tweeting. You can't do that. That's not what this country is about. Yeah, that's not. You know, he, he said it very blatantly. You simply and what we're finding out is they basically ninety nine percent of the time censored and banned based on opinion. Yeah, and you know the funniest thing about that is that when you look into the court case where Facebook was challenged on its own fact checking mm-hmm. have you have you heard this about mm-hmm. what they described their fact checking as being mm-hmm. facebook so, admitted in court yeah. that our fact checking is yeah. nothing more than an opinion yes well is that, is that a revelation to us you and i well, well it is it is it is because that's now enshrined within legal documentation yeah yeah right but it's it, it, yeah. it, 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 obvious it, i'm glad they said it so they you know but but <laughs> it's as obvious of course it was all opinion of course, it was yeah. opinion. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, there was no, there was no real factual data. I think what Elon Musk is doing now is great, where some tweets will have, you know, uh, users add stuff. You know, users added some information they think is valuable, and that's great. I think that's fine. You know, but this whole idea of what this is right, this is wrong, this is a fact, this is not, you know, putting putting a, a screen over it and saying this is not fact. You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, come on, the whole idea is so obviously transparently Orwellian. I mean, it, it is. The whole thing there's, is. There's another, there's another tactic to watch here about how this, conti- this process of release continues to be managed, right? It's this concept of leading people up the garden path, right? Because what you've seen recently in these three releases is because it's been structural and sort of, you know, drip-fed, day one was this, day two was this, day three was this. What, what, because it's got, it's not a complete data dump of, of, of emails. People are responding like Yol Roth is now starting to was, was triggered and said stuff in public in a defense, which then further, further information that gets comes out that he wasn't anticipating would have been released now casts into casts his initial objections into a different light. So Yol Roth's looking worse on day three than he was on day one. Right. Right. Now, 
I think that technique is, is happening on day three for, for Jack for Jack Dorsey to say this is false and then have somebody else immediately go, uh, actually, no, here's where the body's buried, Jack, you're lying. That's the better technique because the longer that goes on for and the more these people protest and then self-incriminate because the, protest, the protestation is a lie that's then refuted by staged release of information that refutes that lie, that feeds a court case, right? And I think that they need to keep going with that method to extract as much of the written objective, um, the written refutations, which you can then break down and say, well, yo, not only were you doing this during the, the operation of Twitter, but even when people started calling you out, once you'd left the company and you'd left even the protections of the position, you lied. And then that lie was proven because we've now then seen these other emails and so on and so forth. That's the better game to play if you want to take these fuckers down. And I hope that they keep doing it and catch more and more of these people in their own lies. Well, I should I should mention there's actually someone named Kristen Ruby um, on on Twitter, uh, and she um, is a president of Ruby Media Group, uh, and, and she's a media relations analyst, blah blah. And uh, RubyMediaGroup.com. It's at Sparkling Ruby, Kristen Ruby on Twitter, and she actually has a nice thread, which is actually endorsed as a good read by Elon Musk, which a former Twitter employee sharing their details with her on yeah. access to DMs and censorship and all that, and something they had there called, have you heard about this? Guano? Have you heard about Guano? No, hang on, what's, what's the Twitter handle, just so I can pull this up whilst you're speaking? Uh, it's at, at uh, Sparkling Ruby. Sparkling Ruby, okay, cool. Yeah. And, what, and you said Guano as in bird shit. Yeah, but, well, you know, Guano to me, I remember the, the, the name from Dr. Strangelove, Bat Guano, General Bat yeah. Guano. That's, I just remember that as, as bat shit, basically. Yeah, but I guess the Twitter, crazy. Yeah, the, the, the Twitter employees, they had something called Guano, which they considered, yeah. I guess, dirty information, okay? okay. They called Guano because they had dirty – they were called uh, – so every database serves a purpose, tracking actions or tweets, et cetera. We had probably hundreds, not thousands of databases, each with several tables. So the raw data existed in a guano table. They were called guano because they had dirty, non-formatted data, formatted data. You could also make notes in them. If a tweet was actuoned, actuoned, meaning we mocked it in some way, it would have a guano entry. Oh, I see what they're saying. So this is something called guano that they came up with. Sometimes yeah. we would take notes on a tweet, and those notes would be collected in a guano table. <laughs> Jesus Christmas. Yeah. So guano, as I, as I define, let me know if that's not clear. Testing is when you have a machine learning algorithm and want to test to see how good a job it did. So this is your kind of thing. This is like techie shit. Yeah. Going into. I'm just scanning this whilst you're reading. Yeah, go on. Keep going. Yeah, so about, yeah, definitely. Anything on the site is fair game. We used to train. So these are, as you can see, there are a bunch of screenshots. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and by the way, what we also know now is they had access to your, they have access to our DMs. They could see, the people on Twitter could see how direct messages to each other, which is really incredibly creepy. That's totally creepy. With protocols, we dealt with privacy, trying to restrict it. Right, as far as bans, the trends blacklist is indicated. It's a list of trends blacklisted, meaning it violated one of our policies. Um, so you could read this too. This is a long thread of basically yeah, yeah. these former Twitter employees whistleblowing and talking about you know the things they were doing there to, uh, to censor and, uh, and uh, you know, yeah, but you see what this what this shows again was something that I was talking about the other day, which is a, com a combination of things. 
that we are providing the source stock or the feedstock to this these systems which is our big data our individual data which adds up to being big data and when you get to big data you then do what they're describing which is you use that big data to feed and train algorithms right now algorithms in themselves aren't ai but that's what they're kind of beginning to brand it as. But what they're saying is we're training algorithms based on big data of everybody's bullshit that, that we get for free in this system. This is why it's not right that we keep giving this data for free, right? Because mm -hmm. they're clearly needing it. Because what will come out of this? They're trying to create a system that is a closed loop. So it, it can self-police human perception and behavior on its own because it becomes a trained AI. And at the moment, the loop's not closed, but it will be eventually if they have enough time and enough data. And we need to stop that because if we don't stop this, right, you are you have completed, you have you've built the memory hole for them. Right. Yes. And this is right. what idiots don't understand. Right. Yes. This needs to be smashed to pieces, mm -hmm. but it won't be because most people are too dumb to fucking follow it. Yeah, it's true. People, some people are too dumb to follow it. Yes, you know, without doubt. You know, um, it's it's absolutely insane. If you, I'm not even going to read this from that schmuck Keith Olbermann, um, but I think what we're going to see come of all this, like I said, the best thing that's going to come of all this is not the left admitting they were wrong. It's not the left admit admitting anything was was done to you know to. Uh, to skew the night, the 2020 election, to change the outcome of the election. Obviously, I believe it did. But in a few weeks, all these people that we talk about, all these names, Joel Roth and uh, and Gade and Agrawal and all these people, they're going to be called. They're going to be subpoenaed. They're going to be subpoenaed now. And they're going to have to talk about this. And, and they're going to have to take an oath and supposedly tell the truth. And if not, if not, then they will be criminally prosecuted. And I, I, there's, a, there's a chance that Jack will be criminally prosecuted because he lied about the shadow banning under oath. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it, I think there's a lot more that's going to come of this. And I truly believe that there need to be criminal proceedings here. It can't just be, okay, everything was uncovered, we know what happened, and now we're just going to move on from here. Because how do we move on from here? And once again, this is, this is just Twitter. Think about yeah. what was going on in Facebook. Yeah. And YouTube and, yeah. and Instagram. Of Think course. about all that stuff that must be going on there and still going on. Okay, have you have you ever heard of Robert Epstein? Yeah, of course. Yeah. The the guy who's done the research on uh, Google's manipulation of the yeah, internet. Yeah, this is not Epstein Island. Right. Epstein. Okay. <laughs> so 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 this this stuff that you're seeing in Twitter and Facebook, right, is sophisticated, but. It's contained because this functionality set of Twitter or Facebook is contained, right? Mm -hmm. But your experience of the internet starting off in the Google web search isn't contained in a way mm -hmm. that you understand. You get research mm -hmm. results back, right? Mm -hmm. And then your entire internet experience drives through that selection of internet pages and then behaviorally what you select, read, consume, and it becomes much more complex, right? Right. Well, well when you get in what you really need to join up is not just this contained stuff per platform, right? You're actually really saying that what Epstein is saying, that your entire experience of the electronic world has been so well managed and controlled and manipulated by Google, who is a state actor and is essentially bonded. It is bonded to the state 
that you are experiencing personal direct perception manipulation of the world through uh, the lens of the internet and most people don't think that's happening they don't think that they that they are literally being fucked with on an individual basis by google to the point where a husband and wife sitting in bed right next to each other will be will be literally experiencing the inter the electronic side of human life differently all because google wants to wants to do that to them and nobody nobody is 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 dealing with that at all right no nobody is dealing with that they've given google the right to do it and they've given the state the right to do it and there is zero policing of it right yep tell tell that to the average internet user and they will not want to to know they just won't want to know no right never mind never mind that it's wrong it's illegal or whatever they will just slow chew you know breathe through their mouth yep. and then and then and then and then and then click and then log into facebook yep. to some extent i know that's very denigrated uh, derogatory for me to say but 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 that is ma mass behavior is going that way you know ma ma that's what we're doing right so the problem is that to resolve this we're going to have to be patient and you're going to have to constantly be willing to support um law legal action and i think one of the things that the, that we might want to consider doing is to try to encourage the setting up of a bona fide legal public crowdsourced funds which are properly accountable they're not just some go send me page right but they are literally designed for the citizens supported funded and driven cleanup act of the fucking internet on in the western world yeah. if we do that we yeah. could make massive difference to citizens to bring the right bring law and constitutional integrity back into all of this shit yeah, I mean the Google search stuff is the stuff that really we don't know about, right? All the all the yeah. all the searches and how the searches are just like they have shadow banning on Twitter, just the way the search banning on Google and the way certain searches will come up more than some people will come up more than others, and some we don't know all of that system, all those algorithms behind Google searches, uh, which of course is used by everybody. Google is used by everybody on the internet. I mean, there are people who don't use Facebook or Twitter who use Google. And how they have uh, banned search phrases and people and, and topics. That is, that's, that's the stuff we also need to know about, right? That's the yeah. stuff we know is an extension of what happened to Twitter. is absolutely happening at Google and other places because these people have the same mindset. They're absolutely the same exactly. mindset. It's all integrated, yeah. It's all integrated. They're all, they're all Agrawals and Yoel Roths and, and Jim Bakers. They're all alike. And so those people also need to be outed, if you will, you know, um, like I said, this is not a scapegoat thing. These people are real. I, I believe these people are real nefarious, bad actors that we're talking about. But there are others yeah. out there. There are others out there. It's not just three or four of them. Without doubt. Let me yeah. let me jump off because that's yeah, 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 so, uh, weekend, man. Appreciate it. Cool. Cheers, bud. Yes. Okay. All right. Daniel. Let's see. Daniel, what's up? Boy, did um did um Gator ever set me up for what I what I would like to talk about. Um he, he toward the end there of his call, he was talking about the internet and um problems there and, and how it has changed us in 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 many ways. And yeah, this is something that that I have been wrestling with for, for a long time and 
trying to get a grip on um, how we are going to come to grips with this new technology and how it is changing us, changing us in very fundamental ways that we do not understand yet. But one thing that we do understand presently is that we are more or less living in two worlds right now. Almost the entire planet is living in two worlds, this internet world and the real world. And in this internet world, it, it, it is a world that is barely constrained by reality. The moral shape there are barely constrained by reality. The values, what we place value upon, is barely constrained by reality. So we can have all kinds of uh, moral hazard that is bred there and all kinds of nonsensical ideas that is bred there and spread there. And then every once in a while, sometimes this nonsense that exists in, in this internet world, it spills over into the real world where these adherents of this, ad adherents of this nonsense and um, adherents of these twisted morals that develop in this world that's not constrained by reality. Because remember, most of our morals are, are the morals that they are because the constraints of our reality is the underlying constraints of our reality is what dictates what is moral hazard and what is not. And those adherents to this, to this, these preposterous morals and ideas that are bred in this internet world, that they start carrying, acting out these, these, these new ideas in the real world and they cause great disorientation to our society at great cost. And then this, this, this disorientation, like, like COVID hysteria, gender ideas, et cetera, it just continues and continues on until the real world consequences finally become too costly for these adherents and also becomes costly for the rest of us because the damage that they do spills over into our lives too. Right, right. And, and then, and then that, and then it dies off, and they go away, and they say, "Whoops." You know, previously in the in the world that we lived in, previous to the internet, the world that you and I grew up in, um, the real world simply wouldn't tolerate the, these these twisted, bizarre, nonsensical ideas about morals and how we should behave with respect to one another and what we should value in this world. The the real world would quietly and without without discussion because it's mother nature that was mainly doing the work would dole up you know pretty horrendous consequences for believing in nonsensical things or things that are disruptive to our society you mean know, those it gets quashed really quickly but the internet gives this it's a petri dish that it allows these bizarre ideas to grow and spread and then they burst out all at once in, into our society. And there they are. And we all right. have to deal with it. Yeah. So yeah. we need to get a handle on this. And that's what our society, I think, is doing right now. Is is there are these there are nefarious players, as you've mentioned, and there's there certainly have been a lot of them, haven't they? With yes. people that would have had no morals in, in our present world or in past worlds. Um and but there's also a ghost in this machine that we have now and, and uh, what we call the internet and that ghost is something that we do not understand well a big part of this obviously is that this stuff is all very new right this is all this century basically the last decade really it's really taken off and it's a new world it's a, it's a whole new world so okay so let, let's look at 
Let's look at starting. If we had started Twitter or, or a similar company 10, 15 years ago, we we started it and we just we just do it. We just put up the platform, we put up the technology, we we put up the databases, and people can comment and people can tweet and people can say what they want. And and then things happen and it becomes very big. It explodes into this huge thing with millions and millions of followers and becomes one of the biggest social media, biggest apps, biggest social media devices platforms and then uh, politicians get involved because things are said and politicians come to us and say look this is going crazy people are saying these crazy things are you gonna are you going to you know not they've never used the word censor right they'd use the word are you go are you going to be able to control it are you gonna be able to control it? it doesn't get out of control with people saying crazy ridiculous over the top maybe violent things and then you start looking at it and you go, wow, this has gotten bigger than we thought it was going to get, this whole platform. Yeah, look at some of these comments. They're crazy. Look at this shit. What are we going to do to like control this? And I think if I'm, I'm going to try to be fair and say, okay, it starts out with the best of intentions, right? Maybe it starts out with the best of intentions that you want to then start some kind of controlling mechanism so it just doesn't become this crazy free-for-all because you're afraid – if it becomes this crazy free-for-all, a lot of people who are intelligent, smart people, are not going to want to use it anymore. So it's going to be a lot of crazy people in bots, and your company's going to go downhill, and there you go. And then it becomes a big company. So then you have a board of directors, and you have people put money into it, and they want some accountability, and it becomes a big this big monster that you have to control. So I can understand the idea of, okay, we have to have some kind of mechanism here to make sure it doesn't get out of control and it, it remains, you know, the company that we always wanted it to be, or at least gets to that point. But then I think what, I think what happens at that point then is you need to hire, you need to be very careful who you hire. The people you hire need to be vetted, really vetted. And the way you do it, since a lot of it, now we're into the politics, but I'm also into, you know, I'm into sports ball, Daniel, you know, you know, I'm into sports ball, right? So sometimes I'll tweet about sports, and sports is also a very big part of Twitter. And disinformation, let me say, disinformation in the sports world is even greater than disinformation in the political world. It's just all crazy stuff written. Yeah, because uh, the costs are so low. Yeah, well, the costs are low, but it's still annoying. It's very annoying. I find it incredibly – I find it actually more annoying because I want facts when it comes to sports. I really do. I want like, don't don't give me rumors about who's who's being traded. Don't be give all these incredible rumors about who's being traded, who's getting what guy. Who's and ninety percent of the time, it's wrong, and there's no accountability there either. Because, like you say, it doesn't have the the real world the consequences as political stuff has, but it still exists. So you have to really vet people. And what you do, what I would do if I were running a company where so much it, so much of it is political, is I would want to find people. I would go out of my way. This is what you don't usually do this when you're hiring people. You're not allowed to really ask them their political preferences. But I think when you're running a company like this, you should be able to. And it should come into account. You should say, look, I want conservatives. I want liberals. I want moderates. I want Republicans. I want Democrats. I can't have a company in which the, 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 the information, the tweets are so political. And 99% of the people in my company are of one political mindset. Okay, a groupthink mindset. I can't have that because then you're going to have this kind of corruption. You're going to have it. You're going to have people after a while saying, well, wow, we could really use our influence to help our people, right, to help our party, to help our candidates. And once Trump came along, you know, maybe before before Trump, it wasn't as bad because there wasn't this Trump derangement syndrome. Right. 
It was, yeah, maybe they liked Bush, maybe they liked Kerry, maybe they didn't like, maybe they liked Obama, maybe they didn't care for McCain. But it wasn't this incredible, just out of control, demented derangement syndrome where, my God, we must defeat. And you know what? And they convinced themselves, Daniel, that they were doing the moral and ethical thing by defeating Trump and defeating Trump. But they were defeating white supremacy. They were defeating Nazism. They were going to go down in history as being heroes. This got into their heads because they became so deranged, these lefties, with Trump derangement. Which would not have happened if half the people working there were Trump supporters. Then yeah. you'd have much more of this back and forth. You'd have much more. You'd have, you'd have you'd have people clashing. You'd have people saying, "Well, maybe we shouldn't do it this way. We should do it this way." But that wasn't the case because they were all, all of them hated Donald Trump, and you yeah, can see yeah, that. I, in, yeah, I, I agree with you that if um, Twitter, which is what we're specifically talking about here, was more was less homogeneous in its political demography. That this would not have gotten out of as out of hand as it has, but I don't think the answer is for uh, um, uh, business owners to start trying to set up quotas, political quotas for who they're going to hire. I think that the answer no, is that no, no. It is a more natural answer. We have to figure out how to introduce the real world consequences into the internet, where these con- where these bad behaviors and nonsensical ideas that spill out into the real world and cause so much damage, we have to have figure out a way to get real world consequences more quickly into the internet so that it, so that our natural world can do its thing with respect to yeah. bad ideas. That, and when I say bad ideas, unsustainable ideas is what I'm talking about mainly. Ideas that if they spill over and quickly take hold in, in the real world, they cause tremendous amount of damage quickly. It's that, that when I say bad ideas, it's not. I'm not judging their correctness. I'm, not, I'm judging how much damage they are going to do once unleashed quickly. And so we need a moderator. We need to have some of. The, we have evolved biologically um, over these, and that includes our, our, our mental capacities over millions of years. Um, not just as human beings, but as uh, as primates, and before that, and before that, and before that, as unicellular organisms, all the way through that, we've been building up modes of behavior that self-regulate and feedback through feedback mechanisms that keep us from doing things that are detrimental to our own survival. That's what evolution is all about. And yeah. we and on the in the internet, those feedback mechanisms do not exist. We have to find as a society and, and, and as business owners and, um, ways, to, ways to reintroduce the real world into the Internet so it can naturally perform its, its negative and positive feedback functions to assure our, to assure or promote our survival. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I was thinking about the real world and the internet and making the internet. I was funny, I was just thinking about this last night. I was thinking, how do you make the real world, the internet, more like the real world, right? How do you how do you do that? Now, look at things you can do on Facebook and Twitter that you really can't do in the real world. One of them is blocking, right? You can block someone on Twitter and Facebook. I block you. I cancel you. You you really you can can't. put up your hand and say, "Hey, you're talking to the hand now." Well, that's right. In, in, no, in real life, you can avoid people, right? You can avoid people as much as you can, but you can't just block them out of your life totally, 
you don't have the power to eliminate them to put a force field yep. up there. Yep. But on, on yep. Facebook and Twitter, you can do that kind of thing. You can just block somebody. Now, I'm wondering. I know this is probably not possible. I, I probably get a lot of you know blowback if I said, "What about taking away the ability to block people? What about taking away the ability to to block people on on Facebook and Twitter? Just like in real life, you got to find a way to fucking deal with them. Find a way yeah, to well, ignore well, them. Yeah. You can well, you can ignore yeah. them." You know, yeah, but, but, but this but, whole but, blocking but, thing, this whole blocking thing is so anti-reality. It's something you right. can only do, it, only do in the exactly, social media right. sphere. Exactly. Yeah. You, this is a good idea. The type of thing you're talking about is, is, is exactly, you know, the type of thing that, that we need to introduce. Um, whether you whether you take away blocking entirely or not, it needs to at least mimic the real world, because the mimic the real world is the world that we have ever as biological beings in ways that are below our conscious level of consciousness and ways that are below our levels of cognition, that we have evolved as human beings to behave in certain ways that are stable to our society and stable to our reproduction. And we have to mimic those. We have to mimic those in the, in the internet. You're, one of the things that you're talking about, yeah, perfect thing that needs to be discussed. How best do we mimic the ability to block or, or to limit or limit um, one's reach into our personal lives and our personal speech. How do we mimic that best? It, it shouldn't be a it shouldn't be a so much a moral decision that anyone is trying to make, but just a simply a decision about how do we mimic the real world the best? Because in the real world we have solved morality problems. Mm. We 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 basically know. Um, and, and, you know, you can get into real fancy, you know, trolley car problem, problems yeah, yeah, right, with respect right, right. to morality, but we basically know how to solve most morality problems without running into moral hazard. We need to, and, and we know how to do that because this has evolved over a very, very long time. We need to introduce as, 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 as similar as we can um, circumstances, like in the case of blocking, similar types of mechanisms like that that exist in the real world into the internet. If we don't do that, then it is going to continue to breed and spread this kind of, you know, this kind of weird um, behavior and moralities, et cetera, that, that propagates so quickly in the internet and then, then just all of a sudden burst up into society in this disorienting manner that, I mean, I, I don't know, I talk to so many people these days that is disorientation is a word that comes up so frequently, uh, but they, they feel so dis, disoriented in this world. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a world, it's a word that I just commonly hear. It, it's, um, and, and no wonder the, the world is, is, is being pushed and shoved in weird little directions that, um, we have never, ever, ever been pushed and shoved in in our entire evolution as a species or previous species that we evolved from. It just it, nothing like this has just ever happened. Right. It hasn't. You're right. It hasn't. Nothing like this has ever happened. And 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 it's just I understand that we have to adapt to it. It's a new thing. We need to adapt to it. But I think that. The biggest problem, and I, I you know, we, 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 we're touching a lot of interesting things here, which is, you know, making the, the internet world, you know, the online world reflect the real world more. But the also the problem is that 
I think it really does really come down to people who they see a, they take a little bit of power, right? They see a little bit of power and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes this incredible monster, right? Yeah. It becomes this incredible monster of, of, of being able to control others. And yeah. we saw we saw this with COVID, Daniel. I mean, yeah. once again, I, I've, I've often asked myself and others and others don't seem to have the answer. I think I have the answers, the difference between the 1918 flu and how that was handled and now and why by by this time, by let's say three, four five years after 1918, why they weren't even talking about it anymore. Where people now are still obsessed over it and still wearing masks and getting booster number 27 and 28 is simply a big part of it is this ability for big government. And once again, we're going to see more we're going to see more evidence of this over the coming days and weeks on Twitter. Big government and big tech, big farmer collaboration to just constantly control the minds of people. Control yes, the minds of people where definitely. they've where they've made them total uh hypochondriacs in a way i mean they've they've really turned society i mean they've heightened the people who are already hypochondriacs have become like mega hypochondriacs and people oh, yeah. who are not hypochondriacs became hypochondriacs simply because and, and, and this, yeah and, and in this in this false world of internet uh, internet they created a whole new morality surrounding covid and so so early on in the uh, in in 2020 I would talk to people and I would get this sense that they were thought that they were um, that they're warriors in some uh, existential fight against this biological threat. And, you know, we're all doing our part to, you know, march, march against this threat in this war. And, and I just look at these people and I go, you're freaking deluded. How did you get that idea? And I know where they got the idea. They're getting this idea pumped up on social media. It was a social freaking contagion, and it was spreading so freaking rapidly. It was scaring the shit out of me. I know. Oh, yes. Very frightening. Very frightening. They truly believe they are warriors. They do. Have, did you see? Oh, did you see that video? You did. There was a video on Twitter a couple of days ago of this guy who was getting into a fight because some guy without a mask was too close to him. Did you see that video? You saw that, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a comment about the guy. That yeah, was, this uh, is this is not two years ago. This is like now. Yeah some, yeah. some guy felt he had the right to try to swing at another guy because the guy had no mask on. I mean, yeah, they, and, you see, you see how you see how psychotic these people. Are? I mean, this is proof positive of how psychotic these people are. Yeah. Yep. And who made them that way? Who made them that way? They weren't born that way. I don't think most of them were born that way. Right. Well, some of that's that's part of things. Some of us are born that way. And that's one of the the awful messages that I would have rather not have learned about my fellow man over the last three years. Um, You know, it's good to learn about reality, but there's sometimes you want to be ignorance is bliss. And sometimes you want to be left in your bliss for a little while longer. I, I have learned things about, you know, at my age, 65 years old, that I would rather not have learned about my fellow human beings. I could have gone to my grave not I know. thinking that people were as shitty as they actually are. You know, um, this, this, as I've said before, this, this last three years were, was, it was a huge character test for people. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what I was thinking of as I was listening to, to Gator talk um, was that, um, you know, this has been a, a big giant character test and Elon Musk could potentially be the one that grades us all. Yeah. 
or right. at least set, sets up the system that grades us and gives us pass fails and pass with honors or failed extraordinarily. Um, you know, this if 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 what we hope happens with Twitter actually does happen, then it's our first. It will be the first opportunity for this character test that we've all been through to give us all, each one of us, every human being on this planet, some feedback about how they are doing as moral human beings. And like tests that we take in school, those are the moments we, if, if, if we are of a mind to, those are the moments where we learn the most when we take these tests and we walk out. And if, and if you're smart, you go and you look at the answers and you think, oh yeah, that's why I was wrong. Well, here's an opportunity for all of us to learn more about who we are and what we are as human beings and that we can all be evil and that we can all be good. And what tips us from one to the other can be really precarious. It can also be something that is just born into us and we all have to be careful about it. The true character comes from understanding, I think, that you can be evil and that you can be good and that much of it is in your control. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would I would really like to hear um, now and in the future f from your guest um, about um, on the show about you know what what would have they learned about human beings in, in the in the last three years. Um, oh, I'm interesting what others think they have learned. But anyway, I just want to just want to leave yeah. it there as I say. That was good. Off that was actually that was speak. actually much more of a William Wallace like I feel I feel energized now. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, that was good. That was good. Well, I, I wish, yeah, I, I wish I, I knew that whole William Wallace quote by heart. I, I would have <laughs> They'll never, they'll, they'll never take off, they'll, <laughs> they'll never take off freedom. freedom. Oh, do you think William Wallace would have thought that social media would be the one to take away our freedom? <laughs> <laughs> that Yo Yoel Roth would be taking away our freedom? What would William Wallace do to Yoel Roth? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, some, sometimes we should talk about the unicorns in San Francisco and yeah. how those and how those overvalued companies bred immorality. But that's another topic. Exactly. Daniel, have a good weekend. Thanks. You too, Mike. All right. All right. Oh, boy. Yes. Yes. William Wallace. William Wallace. I'm sure he would love Yoel Roth. Yoel. Um, just to wrap up a little bit before I go into the movie review segment um, is a. Uh, Matt Taibbi writes, once again, this is just in, in encapsulating what he wrote today, and we'll get, we're going to see much more of this tomorrow and Sunday. So Monday, we'll definitely be talking about what is revealed over the weekend. Um, it, it, he's basically showing what, what hasn't been revealed. The erosion of standards within the company in the months before January 6th, decisions by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies, and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. And basically, like he says, whatever your opinion of the decision, whatever your opinion on the decision to remove Trump on January 8th, the internal communications at Twitter between January 6th and 8th have clear historical import. Even Twitter's employees understood in the moment, it was a landmark moment in the annals of free speech. As one person writes, is this the first sitting head of state to ever be suspended? Too much power, baby. Too much power in the hands of a few tech nerds. And this is what you get. Let me see. I, I, I'm going to start a, a new introduction because I, I find it sometimes a little odd going from this hard-hitting political stuff on Friday nights, on Fridays, to, to film reviews. You know, um, it's, it's, to me, I always find it 
a kind of awkward transitioning. So I think what I'm going to do is from now on, I'm going to let me what you think of this. This is this is my transition from hard hitting news about censorship to film reviews. Here we go. No, oh, hold on. I'll get it right. I'll, I'll, I'll learn how to use an iPhone at some point in my life. <laughs> Okay, so that's Hooray for Hollywood. That's John Williams, by the way, version of the Boston Pops Orchestra. So I'm going to try to save this, and I'll use that as the intro. Okay, so, you know, we were talking yesterday, apropos, about people at the top of the food chain, if you will, not getting, not getting their comeuppance and do something wrong. The wealthy people get off, right, when the underlings are the ones that always get sent to jail. But, you know... Here's a movie, which has been out for a little while, called She Said. And this is about Harvey Weinstein. So there we go. Harvey Weinstein is the guy who has gotten his comeuppance, right? Not just a big shot, but for a very long time, through the 80s into the 90s, especially into the 2000s, one of the, probably the, 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 one of the most powerful people in Hollywood, speaking of Hooray for Hollywood, was Harvey Weinstein, right? And yet they got him, right? Um, it took a while, though. It took a long while. Uh, the New York Times, you know, I, I really like she said because it really shows what can happen in the old days, in the old days. <laughs> Not really the old days. This is actually fairly recent. But one of the few, one of the few times we can look to the New York Times and real journalists doing a job, right? And what the film is about is basically investigation into how it all started, what he did, going and doing interviews with people who, who worked with him, trying to uncover information and evidence regarding the, the women that he sexually molested and raped, and also getting those women to talk, right? Getting people on record and compiling all this information so they could finally go to print with this story. And because Harvey Weinstein was a powerful guy, they needed a lot of evidence. They needed to make sure everything was really um, all the I's were dots and T's were crossed, and they had as much evidence as they could and firsthand information before they went with the story, which would eventually take Weinstein down. As we know, the civil cases became a criminal case, and, and he was prosecuted and I think got 15 years in jail or something. Uh, I think when all said and done, there was evidence that he had molested raped about 90 to 100 women throughout the years of him running um, Miramax. But the film really centers on the two, the two female reporters, Megan Twohey and Jodie Cantor, played by Carrie Mulligan and, and Zoe Kazan, and their investigation. And, of course, Rebecca Corbett, an editor of the Times, Patricia Clarkson, the, the editor-in-chief, Dean Baquette, played by Andre Brower. And basically, it's basically a female version of All the President's Men. Remember that All the President's Men over the, the Waterhouse, the Water Waterhouse, Watergate deal um, with uh, – uh, back in the 70s. So this is basically a female version of All the President's Men. And I guess the best thing about the film is the investigative process and, and the collaboration between these two women and the interaction between these two women. And of course, the 
the skin in the game they have because they're women. And of course, what Harvey Weinstein did to uh, actresses and assistants and everyone from top to bottom um, in, uh, in the film business, women who wanted you know, who he could control. And if, if he did what they, you know, if he, if, if they played ball with him, he'd give them roles. And if they didn't, he would blacklist them and blackball them. So that's the ultimate power structure. And we've talked about power structures on here before and what, what really constitutes having power over someone else. And that, and that's the case of Harvey Weinstein, where he had extreme power over these women. He can decide if their careers flourished or if they didn't. And we know some of the names, right? We we know Rose McGowan. Ashley Judd is actually the only one who's actually in this, playing herself. So we know Ashley Judd was actually the woman, the, one of the main actresses who came forward and let these two reporters use her name in the story that broke about Harvey Weinstein. There's Rose McGowan. Um, uh, there are several others too, right? Who who he um, high profile actresses who he uh, you know molested and raped over the years. So. I really like, she said, if you like these films that are really about the investigative process and the really rare circumstances where journalists do their job, do real journalism to uncover a story and to finally get someone with such power as Harvey Weinstein and put him in his place, then this is the film. At times, it ventures into other areas I didn't care for as much, such as the, look, I understand it's made by a woman, Maria Schrader, she's the director, and it, 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 tries to touch on a lot of the other issues women have that, you know, having to deal with someone like Weinstein, aside from having to deal with someone like Weinstein, like, you know, like, like, like pregnancies and, and postpartum, uh, one of the, actually, uh, I believe it was uh, Megan Twohey, played by Carrie Mulligan, who they show having, you know, postpartum depression and all these other things that women have to deal with that the last thing they need is a, is a disgusting slob like like Harvey Weinstein uh, salivating all over them. And, and so it'll go into that a little bit too much. But I think what I liked the most was the interaction between the two Times reporters and the investigative process, which once again is very reminiscent of that journalism we saw in, uh, in, all, the, in all the president's men. So I definitely like She Said. It's been out there for a while. And so I definitely, uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, the second film, which I just saw before, I'm just pulling it up on IMDb so I have the actors' names and everything right. Is Empire of Light, and this is uh, directed by Sam Mendes. I think Gator will appreciate this one more than anyone else because it takes place in the early '80s. It takes place like in 1980, 1981, Kent, England, and uh, beautiful Kent, England, by the way. And it takes place in, the, in a very in an old movie theater, one of these old grand movie theaters. Uh, called the Empire Cinema uh, in Kent, England in the early 80s. And it's, like I said, it's directed by Sam Mendes, who did 1917. It's a real departure from 1917, really showing Sam Mendes' range as a director. But this one is basically about a woman played by um, Olivia Coleman, who is the assistant manager at this theater that's run by the manager played by Colin Firth. And... Uh, Toby Jones is in it. He plays the projectionist. And uh, it's about her, basically her very lonely existence as the assistant manager of this theater. She's trying to find, she's a middle-aged woman uh, in the early 80s. She's trying to find love. Uh, she's had some issues with depression and mental illness in the past. Um, and a young black man 
named Michael uh, Stephen, played by Michael Ward, comes to work at the theater as an usher. And the relationship that has developed between this young black man, this middle-aged woman played by Olivia Coleman, where she sort of finds love in, you know, in the most unexpected places, as you will. Very odd. One of those romances where right now we wouldn't think anything of it, right? A white woman and a black guy. But in the early 80s, um, in, in, in Kent, England, was the rise of, of Thatcherism and there was a lot of white supremacists going on, you know. There's the rise of white supremacy in the early 80s in Kent, England, and uh, the black kid has to deal with all that, has to deal with this incredible racism. And in fact, it's very, it's, they don't even want to be seen in public together being romantic. Um, and in this country, I, I don't, once again, I was very young in the early 80s. I don't, I don't remember that as being an issue really in this country, in America in the early 80s. But evidently in England, uh, it was still an issue in the early 80s. Um, and so what we have is this hush story, which is she's, she's a marginalized person, a lonely middle-aged woman with some mental issues, and he's a young black man, and they have all this racism and white nationalism, and they find kind of love and affection for each other. And it's basically about their relationship and also about the love of movies and this old movie theater, the Empire Cinema, you know, movie theaters that don't exist anymore, these grand old movie theaters. Um, and like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a real... Uh, it's it's not a film that really relies on plot very much. In fact, this plot is a little bit meandering. And like I said, there are areas that are touched on, which is the relationship, this interracial relationship, this the the, the relationship between a middle aged woman and a young black man. There's the there's the white nationalism and supremacy that was growing in the early eighties in England. So a lot of these issues are touched on, but never really fleshed out that much. And that might bother a lot of people that they're just touched on. It's not a film that relies on plot as much as it relies on emotion and feeling and just an incredible performance by Olivia Coleman. Just a, just a, and, and the, what I experienced during it was with feelings of, 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 of melancholy. Basically that's what it comes as melancholia, you know, and, and, and uh, this nostalgia for a time that doesn't exist anymore, a time of movies that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and you could see Sam Mendes love for this, this time in his life when I guess he was a young man, a young, a young man learning to love film and of course becoming this great filmmaker that he's become. And it also really shows the range because you have 1917, which was this great intense war film with fantastic, beautiful cinematography. And once again, here you have great cinematography, but it's more in the, it's, it's, it's warmer tones and it really shows Sam Mendes love for cinema. And, and also really, like I said, this relationship between these two people. And really, I think we're at a time now where we need a film like this, which doesn't do anything grand. There are no great statements. It's not a masterpiece. Like I said, it doesn't really rely on plot. It relies on the feeling of connecting with someone else who's also marginalized in society at that point. And the idea of two people very different backgrounds being able to come together and develop a, a, a genuine friendship. Michael Ward is great. I don't remember seeing him before. I think he's a newcomer. And of course, Olivia Coleman, what the plot can't do, she does. She, she really grounds this film. She's incredible. I would be shocked if she doesn't get an Oscar nomination. I mean, there are times where she's able to emote this incredible loneliness and desire for love, and other times where she just goes totally over the deep end in rage. Um, and she's equally impressive and convincing no matter what she's doing. And she really carries the film through. She's the through line. Her performance, let's say, is a through line that the film doesn't have plot-wise. So I, I really liked it, to tell you the truth. I, I, found it, I found it 
very emotionally satisfying and moving. Um, and like I said, Olivia Coleman is fantastic. And Sam Mendes in back-to-back films, 1917, this one shows what, what range he has as a director. So I definitely recommend Empire of Light. Okay, so She Said and Empire of Light. I wouldn't call them the two best films of the year, but certainly both worth seeing. Should I do an outro too? Let me see. I just like this song so much. Okay, yeah, that's the outro of Ray for Hollywood. Actually, there's a little background to Ray for Hollywood. When I was doing film reviews in New York in the 90s, that would be my intro, Ray for Hollywood. You see, I didn't find that. As, see, it wasn't, I, I just did film reviews. That was my job. I did film reviews on a friend's show, a guy named Jay Diamond. He did a show. And he did a late night show. And I would do film reviews at the end of his, like, the last 10 minutes of his Friday show all the time. And they would play that. As my introduction, but that wasn't awkward for me because he was doing the politics. I would just come on and do the film reviews. Here I do the politics and the film reviews. I'm like a, a maverick, right? I'm a man for all seasons. Is that what you call me? A man for all seasons? Renaissance man, whatever you call it. So I find that kind of that transition to be a little awkward sometimes. So I feel this song will now be a good way to be a transition between the politics and the movies. All right. It was a great week of shows. Let me tell you, a lot of uh, so much happening, and this weekend's going to be crazy. There's going to be dump number four on Saturday and dump number five on Sunday. So come Monday, ugh, there's going to be a lot to talk about. All right? I'm going to need everyone else to help me out. Go on Twitter, and I think Schellenberger's doing the Saturday dump, and then, and then uh, Barry Weiss is doing the Sunday dump. Everyone read that stuff so we can all talk about this together on Monday, because I think this is the thing to talk about now, right? We, we, we need to talk about this. It's so important. I really do. I think this, what Elon Musk has done is just, you know, I don't want to kiss his ass too much, but a, 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 as Dan Bongino said, he at least deserves a real pat on the back for doing this. Just totally eye-opening. Okay. The name of the show is Unless Be Heard. It airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Eastern, 2, I'm sorry, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. over there in Kent in London, anywhere else in England and, uh, and uh, Europe. And so we have listeners around the world, this show, listeners around the world. Uh, I want to thank, no, ex- would you, would you write, Katie, no expense spared here. Is that the song? I don't think I have to pay. I hope I don't have to pay John Williams. I don't think so. I think just giving him, I hope so. I think just giving John Williams and the Boston Pops credit is good enough, hopefully. Um the name of the show is Unless Be Heard. I'm Micah Chopley. Have a great weekend, and I'll be right back here, 11 p.m. Pacific. On the dot, straight up, 2 a.m. Eastern on Monday night. Have a great weekend. See you then. <laughs>